You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journey here at UVic. I'm pleased to welcome to the studio as my guest today on Beyond the Jargon, Erin Mills, who is a law student here at UVic and one of the winners of the 2013 Vanier Scholarship. His research includes exploring how Canadian and Indigenous legal traditions can exist together. Thank you for joining me here today. Great to be here. Thank you. Maybe I should ask, is that is that a good explanation of what your research is? That's, I've taken that from the UVic uh, press <laughs> release. Yeah. Um, is that, does that sum up sort of what you do at least? Yes, yeah, it's uh, it's very close. Um, my project is uh, trying to address uh, what is for me a very serious problem in Canada, a uh, fundamental issue of injustice uh, for Indigenous peoples. And being that, uh, we live Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples together today uh, in what is, even in 2013, a state of... Uh, colonialism. And so one of the key determinants of our relationship with each other is a colonial dynamic. And many, many indigenous uh, peoples have a vision of what's called treaty federalism. This is very much not my idea, but it's an idea of uh, a way we can live together today based on principles that were agreed to while we were making treaties with one another. And a major obstacle to achieving that vision today. There are many. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But one of them is that uh, non-Indigenous folks uh, often are skeptical about whether Indigenous peoples even had a system of law uh, prior to colonization. Hmm. And then because of processes of colonization, many Indigenous peoples ourselves today are unsure um, about the details of our own systems of law. In most instances, they're not functioning today in the way that they were when our communities were consistently healthy. So the project is motivated by that worry and uh, wanting to articulate the theory behind one system of Indigenous law, uh, my own, the legal order of the Anishinaabeg, or known in Canada also as Ojibwe peoples. Mm -hmm. And I'm not... I'm definitely not proposing uh, to substantively articulate its content uh, for a host of reasons that leave me unqualified for that Mm -hmm. task, but I am wanting to explain uh, the thinking behind it so Mm -hmm. that people both inside and outside of that community uh, can understand it better, and then hopefully the project will be a resource for communities who are interested in giving substantive content to their legal traditions today. Now, you talked about this um, uncertainty and uh, not really knowing what, I guess, those traditions of law meant. So is part of that just trying to, of your research, trying to sort of track down, um, I guess, what those traditions of law meant? And is that, how difficult is that? And what are your sources? How are you finding that information? Yes. Uh, The sources are many and varied. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some textual, so some archival research. And as a discipline, I'm using ethnohistory. But uh, uh, without a doubt, the most important resources are uh, people today who are knowledge carriers, uh, elders, medicine people, um, who hold pieces of the law and do legal work today. And so um, 
using my own re existing relationships in my community and nearby communities around uh, Kuchiching First Nation in northwestern Ontario, Metanchigaming, mm -hmm. uh, and then building new relationships along the way. Those will be, I think, uh, by far the most important sources because I need lots of direction mm -hmm. for this project. Um, and, sorry, what was the first part of the... Oh man, sorry, I threw a whole bunch of questions <laughs> at you there. Um, I guess you answered that. Yeah, you were looking, you are trying to sort of determine what the framework might look like, I guess. So how far are you into this research? And have you got a sort of a, a vague idea of what that framework might look like? Yeah, I, I'll stop asking my <laughs> all the questions I want to ask right there. I would say I'm uh, very close to the beginning. Formally, I didn't start until this summer. Mm -hmm. The ideas I've been working with uh, since 2009, actually, I was one of the very lucky students to be part of uh, what was then the pilot project for what will become the JID program at the law school here. And what so, is the JID program? So this will be a, uh, a four-year law school commitment, uh, the graduates of which will get two law degrees, uh, one the traditional JD in Canadian common law and uh, the other one in various indigenous legal traditions which are taught as part of that curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so in the summer of 2009, there was a program consisting of three courses that were taught uh, just to see um, how well it can work. And mm -hmm. it was a huge success and had a tremendous impact on me uh, and really got me thinking that uh, it's possible to articulate indigenous systems of law in a way that people outside the community can engage. Mm -hmm. So actually that program was a, a really key moment for me and I've been thinking about Anishinaabe legal order in a very serious way uh, since then. But I was still in my JD and then I articled and then I did my masters and uh, it was just course based. So this is really uh, my first chance to start hammering through the ideas mm -hmm. in a consistent way. So how did you wind up in law? What was sort of the, the path that you took to get to this point in your uh, academic career? Well, <laughs> there are two different ways I can answer that question. Mm -hmm. uh, I suppose the totally honest answer is I had actually deferred for a year thinking that I would be a novelist and uh, always motivated uh, to try and achieve as best as I can transformative change uh, in Canada. Um, I grew up being deeply motivated by issues around poverty through political commitments of my mother's and how I grew up, um, and indigenous uh, peoples, and those were sort of the two central issues for me. And I thought the best way, uh, my skills being what they are, that I could help would be uh, through works of fiction. And so I thought, and this is embarrassing, that uh, <laughs> in law school I would it was a very instrumental approach to a legal education. And so I actually thought that uh, I would acquire means to get enough income in a short enough number of hours mm -hmm. that I could spend most of my time uh, writing, which was, of course, a horrible plan and, <laughs> and failed immediately. Uh -huh. uh, within the first semester, uh, I had totally abandoned that endeavor and focused entirely on <laughs> justice for indigenous peoples. It was like that fast. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea was to be part-time law student, part-time novelist. Yes. And just became full-time law student. Immediately. <laughs> <laughs> was it because of the time commitments or did you find it was just more enjoyable and more rewarding to be immersed in the, your legal studies? I had incredible opportunities 
uh, in the first year of my law school um, through mentorship, uh, through some resources that were available. And uh, part of it, actually, is I just got extremely upset and then extremely angry uh, mm-hmm. when I read the core Section 35 um, Aboriginal rights cases. Mm-hmm. And the way that our judiciary... Uh, has approached justice for Indigenous peoples. And I was so frustrated that I I sort of spent ever since then <laughs> trying to, to think best, uh, what can I do about this? And so it was through my experience at UVic in 2009 mm-hmm. uh, when I realized uh, I don't need to position myself as constantly fighting within that system. Mm-hmm. I can actually, there are ways that I can articulate another vision another way forward and so that's that's really where I'm extremely hopeful mm-hmm. and that's what's keeping me motivated now right can you explain what uh, maybe in more detail the things that actually made you mad about uh, the the case studies that you were looking at and mm-hmm. maybe how you want to change things with this new vision right well there are a whole host of um, doctrines we could speak about the Supreme Court has settled on a very, very narrow idea of Indigenous identity. And uh, they've made themselves arbiters of Indigenous cultures. And that's problematic uh, in so many ways. And so they have ideas around authenticity of Indigenous identity and uh, which traditions, where change is ongoing, as it is for all peoples, all the time. This mm-hmm. is just sort of a fact of being. This is nothing unique about Indigenous peoples. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Indigenous peoples want to grow uh, and actually have rights commensurate with their processes of cultural change, that's actually a really serious problem uh, within Section 35. That's one issue. Um, when you're talking about Section 35, of what? Right, sorry. <laughs> the Constitution Act 1982. Right, okay. So it's, it's part of our constitution. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's outside uh, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's the section, uh, part two, um, that gives rights to uh, Aboriginal peoples, which um, are defined as uh, Indian, Métis, and Inuit peoples. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also, it gives effect to, uh, or it recognizes existing uh, Aboriginal and treaty rights. So, for rights... Uh, Aboriginal or treaty mm-hmm. that were existing in 1982, mm-hmm. uh, it gives them official constitutional recognition. Right. So it's 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 the foundation under Canadian law mm-hmm. for discussions around Aboriginal rights. And how is this new vision then something? The, these <clears throat> ideas that you have, how do you want to change that? I guess for the better. Well, uh, from the ground up. Yeah. So, really, it's a structural shift. My project isn't within um, what's generally talked about as the recognition paradigm. So I, my proposal is not one that asks Canada to tolerate Indigenous difference somehow. The claim is much more robust than that. It isn't for toleration. It's for partnership. That's the, the heart of uh, that word I used at the start, treaty federalism. Mm-hmm. That being the case... Indigenous peoples need to be able to articulate their own ideas of what is a good life and the work that law should be doing and the structure of how law works on their own terms 
which is to say it has to reflect their own worldviews, their own ways of being in the world. Mm -hmm. And the framework of Aboriginal rights is profoundly inadequate to that task. Mm -hmm. It makes a kind of space, but very much within the toleration paradigm of relationship. Mm -hmm. And it insists on an active translation. And so the kinds of claims that Indigenous peoples will want to make have to be articulated within um, not just the legal framework, but there's a whole system of thought behind it, going back to the Enlightenment and what it means to be a person even. Mm -hmm. And they have to do that magical act of translation. And so, uh, well, one, that's profoundly unfair, Mm -hmm. but um, more than that, uh, it does violence to their ways of being in the world. Mm -hmm. And I really uh, feel very strongly they ought not to have to do that. Is the research, your research here at UVic, is that uh, part of something bigger that's looking at these issues? Are you uh, one person that's just trying to, you know, figure this stuff out and move forward? Or do you have other people that are working on the same stuff? Yes, Uh, one very small person in a much larger (laughs) and quickly growing movement. Mm. There's so many others who have been uh, mentors to me and whose work I admire um, and uh, who I've had the great pleasure of knowing and working with. Um, I'm almost loath to start listing names in case I forget someone, Mm -hmm. but uh, many of them are here at UVic, uh, at UBC, uh, Athabasca. Um, One of my first mentors was at U of T, she's gone now, uh, to another school. But this is a movement that's that's really gaining traction. And uh, not just in the academy, there are political actors and uh, legal actors paying attention as well. Um, Until very recently, Chief Justice of British Columbia, Finch, his retirement speech was just amazing. And uh, it was a call. He he presented an argument that legal actors in British Columbia have a duty to learn about Indigenous legal systems. What an amazing Hmm. statement that was for me Mm -hmm. uh, from a retiring uh, Chief Justice of a Provincial Court of Appeal. So, yes, I'm a very, very small part. And mm-hmm. then the other part to answering that question is, of course, this isn't something that's just happening in the academy. Mm-hmm. Um, indigenous legal traditions are alive today in communities. And so my most important teachers come from there, elders I work with, uh, um, Bessie Mainville, Fred Major, and um, and that work never stops. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're always uh, teaching others and uh, informing my view of how norms work mm-hmm. in our society. Um, so it's drawing from my community connections and building new ones, and then also this is happening in the academy and it's gaining traction. Now you said you were from Northern Ontario. And you're looking specifically at um, Indigenous law traditions from uh, that area. But you're studying out in BC. Are you looking at uh, British Columbia or, um, I guess, Indigenous law traditions out here as well? And does that inform your research at all? Right. That's a great question. Um, So if I can back up for one moment. Um, I am from Northern Ontario. Uh, I'm from Kuchiching First Nation, but I didn't grow up there. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to say that because I... While I definitely belong to that community, I don't belong to it in the same way as folks who have 
grown up there. So it's really been as an adult that I've been coming back and, and getting teachings there. Did you grow up somewhere else in? in northeastern Ontario. Oh, okay. Yeah, yes, in, in North Bay mm-hmm. um, with my mother, mm-hmm. uh, who's not an Indigenous person. My father is. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so I wanted to, to, to say that. Mm-hmm. In terms of Victoria, th- well, the reason I'm here is there's nowhere like this law school on the planet. Hmm. Um, I was at Yale for my Master of Laws degree, mm-hmm. and... If I just wanted to sort of be mercenary about it, and if all I cared about was sort of getting a job at the best university I could, then the smart money was to stay there and do my doctoral degree there. But there was nobody there who could offer me half of what I have here. Hmm. Um, I have the most incredible committee, John Boros, Jeremy Weber, and uh, Jim Tully, and uh, they'll take me places that there's no other institution of higher learning not just in Canada, but uh, mm. in North America or anywhere. And then John, of course, is an Anishinaabe. And so it was very important to me to have someone from uh, that shared community, not just in my own community, Kutiching and surrounding area, but actually uh, in a formal academic capacity in a supervisory role. Mm-hmm. So that was largely I came here to work with him. I guess the other second part of my question was about Indigenous law traditions in BC, and are you looking at that, or is it? Uh, are you just primarily focused on um, on Ontario? Yes, um, primarily I'm focused on Anishinaabe law, which mm-hmm. isn't actually just Ontario. Um, okay, we sort of emanate out from um, the Great Lakes, but uh, there there definitely is uh, a lot of strength to be drawn from work on other Indigenous legal orders. Mm -hmm. Is there much research being done into other areas of um, North America? Yes, but uh, UVic is really the center. Right, yeah, yeah. And it's a movement that, um, thanks to hard work uh, from John and others uh, over so many years, uh, is really gaining traction now, but most of it is still to come. It's early, I think, in the development of the Indigenous law movement in universities. But... Uh, there's work that I know from graduate students now or folks who are professors but did their doctoral dissertations on Indigenous peoples' legal systems. Um, Cree, Gixan, uh, New Channels, Coast Salish. I, I know there are others too, but those mm-hmm. are just off the top of my head. Now, you mentioned um, having ties to uh, community and uh, talking to political actors and how these all must be very important to this movement. I mean, if it's completely self-contained in the academy, uh, I feel like it might not affect as much change as if there is communication with um, other aspects of society. Um do you have to, do you reach out? Do you talk to people? Not just for um, your own research purposes, but as a movement in itself, is there communication with those other parts of, I guess, society at large? Right. That's such a huge question. So I think this is presumed in what you said, but the first point I would want to make is the connection to our own communities. So it would be impossible for me to do this work without connecting mm-hmm. with Anishinaabe communities. But you think your question is more about political actors? Um, yeah, and uh, and I guess looking for um, change or systematic change, I guess is what I'm talking about. Right. Yes, that uh, I think it's the only way this can work 
um, my project is very much aspirational. It's not programmatic in the sense that right. I'm not af- offering a roadmap mm-hmm. for actions interested peoples might take over the next 10 years to make things slightly better. I'm offering a vision of how things could be dramatically different in a nonviolent way. Um, and that's really not uh, as much a legal project as it is a political one. Mm-hmm. So something like that can only work with dramatic engagement from non-Indigenous um, citizens. They have to care. They have to... It has to be something that inspires them to under, to want to understand their own citizenship in Canada in mm-hmm. a different way. That's not something. That is not a project that's achievable working strictly within the boundaries of the academy. But the... So I'm not pushing too hard right now. There are folks I've been having those conversations with, and they're, they've been fruitful. But I'm not quite as active as I will become when I'm much further along. Um, there's often, and although I regret this, I think it's understandable, an effort to subsume the ideas I present under available categories. Uh, and so uh, it's a kind of accidental colonization hmm. of Indigenous legal systems. And so, can you explain that a little bit in a little bit more? What you mean there? Yes, um, there's a risk in engaging with uh, political and legal actors now before I've got my own ideas much more worked out. Mm-hmm. That they will want to take indigenous, they will want to take law from indigenous legal systems outside of the philosophical tradition in which it is embedded, which gives it meaning and coherence, Mm -hmm. and to transplant it into Canada's legal system. I have a lot more thinking to do uh, about, and not just thinking ceremony, about that prospect, but I'm deeply worried about it. Mm. Um, it's, It's not at all within my vision. In fact, I would be careful about stating this too categorically, but my intuition is to be against that, the sort of transplants model of engagement with Indigenous law. So what I need is to be able to explain uh, the entire theory uh, all at once. And I have pieces of it now. Mm-hmm. But when I can do that, uh, then the hope is it will be clear to those folks I want to engage and whose help is necessary for my mm-hmm. larger political ambition ever to be achieved to understand that that's just not a viable approach. It's not what's going to get there. It's a way to try. I would like to think that folks who take that position are earnestly trying um, to account for Indigenous difference by liberalizing Indigenous legal orders, by bringing them within what is uh, already understandable, intelligible within Canada's constitutional order. Mm -hmm. And I think um, that can't be, that political commitment can't be a starting point Mm -hmm. for the vision uh, I've just barely sketched for you here. It requires Canada to undergo substantial change as well. So it isn't the case that Canada is being asked just to make minor changes to accommodate Indigenous legal orders. There needs to be a very serious process of national self-reflection. 
where people ask themselves what their citizenship means to them Mm -hmm. and what are the conditions that um, sustain it today and if they're happy about that. And if they aren't, that may mean changes. Wow, it's huge stuff you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. How how optimistic are you? Do you ever get discouraged? I mean, I I feel like (laughs) it might be difficult to keep the optimism up and the the drive to keep doing this kind of work. I get asked that a lot, actually. (laughs) No, I I feel uh, tremendous hope. I'm so inspired um, by my peers, by people in my community, uh, by... My mentors, uh, John Burroughs, I mentioned my mm-hmm. committee members, and there's so many others. Uh, Val Napoleon's also here at UVic Law. She's doing wonderful work. And, you know, in, in lots of communities, things are bad. They're really serious struggles. But, I mean, the narrative that we don't often get is the amazing um, recovery, the stories of hope. Mm-hmm. There's so many amazing things happening in uh, reserves and other indigenous communities as well. And those stories, for some reason, aren't as sexy in the news. Mm. Uh, But I see uh, youth claiming their culture with tremendous pride. Mm. And that's amazing. Like, that's how can what I'm talking about ever happen but for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes I worry that non-indigenous Canadians aren't as aware of those stories Mm -hmm. uh, as they perhaps could be. I think you're completely right. I worked as a reporter for four years, and most, well, in general, a lot of the news I reported was bad news. But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) yes, um, but also, yes, there were those stories of triumph coming out of Indigenous communities often. It was often negative stuff. Yes. mm -hmm. The other thing is, uh, I mean, let let me be clear. I don't have any illusions that what Mm -hmm. I'm talking about is simple or easily accomplished, or I get it. (laughs) But I, I, I'm really nerdy. <laughs> so I'm, I'm always writing uh, hmm. judges or journalists or politicians, mm-hmm. and it's incredible the response I get. So hmm. I had an amazing response uh, just over this past year from Bob Ray on an issue. Uh, he actually, when he was coming here, made a point of meeting me for breakfast. Wow. I, mean, I was totally blown away, mm-hmm. and it was... Uh, I was very impressed with uh, a statement he made about I don't know more and so mm. wrote to share my thoughts and to encourage him to sort of, you know, keep on that line. People are listening. Uh, and the Chief Justice of Canada, the Right Honourable Beverly McLaughlin, I wrote her and she actually wrote back. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I find lots of reasons, which is not to say that I agree with all these folks on all their positions they take. I don't mm-hmm. mean to be saying that, but I mean, I'm, I'm a nobody. So <laughs> if, they're, if they're willing to engage with me, that, I think that really says something. We're just about out of time. Tell me how much longer this research right now that you're focusing on will take you, and basically what's next? What are you What are you doing after you've gotten the scholarship now? What happens next? Right. Well, um, the most honest answer is my entire life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't something that will ever stop. Mm-hmm. And uh, as much as I accomplish will only ever be a small piece of it. Formally, in terms of my PhD, the plan is four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what comes next? This year I have coursework. I have uh, a strong start because, like I mentioned, I've been working through some of the ideas since 2009 mm-hmm. for the theoretical framework, and so I'll be able to sh- transition into that work very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I go back to my own community every summer, so I'm, I'm already looking forward uh, to continuing discussions about 
Anishinaabe legal order there, and there are already some plans in place, mm -hmm. um, new people to meet and old conversations to continue and, and push further. That's mostly where my mind is right now mm -hmm. about those conversations. And uh, one of the most important things I've learned uh, through those experiences is actually not to come in having overly structured the questions up front, because often the most important things are things that I wouldn't even know to ask. Hmm. Um, so a lot of it is just being present. And instead of coming in with an idea of what's important and looking for answers, opening it up much more than that and starting with hearing people tell me what's important and then trying to work with that. All right. Well, I hope we can have you back. I'm sorry to end the interview here. This is such an interesting uh, topic of research. Uh, thank you for being my guest today on Beyond the Jargon. Thank you so much for having me. Again, thank you for listening to Beyond the Jargon on CFUV.